0: Hello, and welcome to Starting the States, a podcast in which we look at the historical events and people that shaped the creation of the 50 states that make the United States we know today. I'm your host, Jonathan Breida. Each episode will tackle the history that led up to the formation of each state and be chronologically based on the order each one ratified the Constitution and entered the Union. Therefore, our first episode will be looking at the very first state to join the United States, Delaware. While geographically small, its strange and complex history makes up for what it lacks in size. The state of Delaware is located east of Maryland and to the south of New Jersey. The Delaware River hugs its eastern half where it enters Delaware Bay and eventually empties into the Atlantic Ocean. Before the arrival of Europeans, Delaware was occupied by Native Americans called the nanticoke Lana lenape Originally, the Nanticoke and Lana lenape were separate tribes, but they unified in the 1600s. The ancestors of the Nanticoke were called the Tidewater People, and were the first to resist European colonization. They migrated from the eastern shore of Maryland onto the banks and tributaries of the Delaware River, where they united with another group of Native Americans, the Lene Lenape. The name Lene Lenape literally means men of men, but when translated means the original people. The tribe is made up of three main clans, with smaller independent, but culturally related communities. According to the Lene Lenape, Other Native American tribes call them the Grandfathers, or Ancient Ones, and consider them to be the most ancient tribe of Northeastern nations. The Nantecoclene Lenape were admired by other Native tribes and European colonists for their ability to mediate conflicts, but even that could not save them from ruthless European ambition. With that being said, I think it is important to do a brief review of one of the main reasons Europeans began their colonial efforts, Besides living in luxury and expressing distaste for the common folk, wealthy Europeans loved accumulating more wealth. Go figure. The best way to do this was by trading for goods that were not native to the country they ruled. Acquiring foreign goods was tedious, and overland trade was extremely slow. To solve this, explorers, or as I like to call them, money finders, were sponsored by European countries to find new and faster trade routes. These money-finders would open up trade with China, India, and other eastern powers for the financial benefit of the European countries they served. What is the old proverb? Ah yes, money makes the world go around, or in this case, it makes explorers go around the world. The discovery of the North American continent was a surprise, but it offered a new opportunity for European powers to fill their wallets. As a result, the Dutch and others would colonize the continent in hopes of increasing the vast amounts of wealth they were already accumulating. In a nutshell, Hey, we like money. Let's make more by taking the land and exploiting the people that live on it. Sound good? Good. In August of 1609, the region that now encompasses Delaware was discovered by English explorer Henry Hudson as he was trying to find a passage to China for the Dutch East India Company. He claimed it for Holland, initiating the start of the Dutch colonization project in the New World. The Dutch laid claimed all territory between the Delaware River, Delaware Bay on the west, and the Connecticut River on the east. The discovery of the New World not only led to financial opportunities for Europeans, it was also an opportunity for religious minorities to escape persecution in the homeland. Interestingly, historian Hampton Carson points out that Puritan pilgrims, who famously took the Mayflower to the New World and settled the Plymouth colony, originally applied to take a Dutch ship to the country instead. If they had not been denied, it is possible that the pilgrims would have established themselves in Delaware instead of Massachusetts. The first attempts by the Dutch to colonize Delaware had mostly ended in failure, In 1623, they constructed their first settlement of Fort Nassau that Carson calls, quote, more of a fortified trading place than the nucleus of a colony. In 1633, a second settlement was constructed, Fort Beversreed, and was abandoned the same year. The territory shifted European ownership multiple times. The Dutch from 1609 to 1638, then the Swedes took it by force and ruled from 1638 to 1655. The Dutch reclaimed it and ruled again from 1655 to 1664, until they were defeated by the english who then began rule in the same year england's growth and power coincided with their colonial ambitions author alan taylor puts it perfect explaining that the english rulers quote developed a violent envy of dutch wealth end quote and desired some for themselves expanding the empire in america was a way of showing off the strength of england and the crown they understood that overseas expansion led to commercial advantages resulting in more power King Charles II of England and his brother James, Duke of York, oversaw the seizure of Delaware from the Dutch. Around the same time, William Penn assumed control of the province and eventual state of Pennsylvania. Penn was concerned that his colonial territory did not have access to the Atlantic Ocean due to the Baltimore family's claims covering the northern boundary of Maryland. So he asked the Duke of York to grant him the lands west of the Delaware River, known as the, quote, three lower counties that make up the territory of Delaware. The Duke generously obliged, and after some questionably illegal moves, chiefly the Duke's lack of ownership of legal paper titles to the land, Delaware was given to Penn. Not surprisingly, Maryland did not take kindly to this deal. They claimed that their royal charter gave them the rights to all the land on the Atlantic coast that made up Delaware, making the acquisition by Penn illegal. The legal validity of Penn's acquisition of Delaware has been the cause of great debate among legal scholars. Whatever the exact nature, Penn had some kind of title to the land, legal or not, controversy would continue to persist, even in the newly formed United States. Fortunately for Penn, it matters little now. What did matter was Delaware's cultural and religious differences with both Pennsylvania and Maryland. While Penn and Maryland were arguing about who claimed the land, no one gave thought to what the people of Delaware wanted. Most of the inhabitants were still Swedish, Finnish, and Dutch. Their religious makeup was mostly Lutheran or Calvinist. This conflicted with Pennsylvania's English, Welsh, Quaker, and Maryland's Catholic population. Religious differences were a big deal in the colonies, where many originally came with the sole purpose of escaping the religious persecution they received back home. Now the very people who they traveled so far to escape became their neighbors. The short and sweet of it was Delaware had already laid the groundwork to become a distinct colony that both Pennsylvania and Maryland would have a hard time absorbing into their own. Adding to the tension was Pennsylvania's attempts to maintain control over the Delaware Territory. According to historian Lawrence Henry Gibson, the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania and Newcastle in Delaware were competing to be the economic centers of the colonies. To put it plainly, the people of Pennsylvania saw the people of Delaware as the colonists saw the Native Americans, different, backwards, and in the way. As a result, the governing structure known as the Colonial Assembly moved their meeting place to Philadelphia, and all laws passed in Delaware had to be reaffirmed by a Pennsylvanian Assembly. The people of Delaware did not take kindly to being subordinate to Penn's pompous Pennsylvanians. They became increasingly unruly, causing Pennsylvanians to view any Delaware Assembly member as a threat to their governance, unable to reconcile their differences. In May of 1704, an Assembly of Delaware representatives held a separate meeting in Newcastle to discuss separation. This event marked the permanent political separation of both states, even though Delaware was still technically a part of Pennsylvania. The story of Delaware is a unique one in English colonial history in North America. Unlike other colonies, Delaware had no official name. It was referred to as the Three Lower Counties until it declared independence from Great Britain in the American Revolution. Politically separate, but still a part of Pennsylvania, Delaware could not be defined the same way as other colonies. Gibson writes that it was, quote, "legally neither a proprietary nor a recognized royal colony, nor was it a corporate colony as were Connecticut and Rhode Island, nor even a trusteeship in the formal sense that Georgia was during the first twenty years of its existence as a colony. All colonies had to send their laws to England for approval before they could be implemented. However, Delaware, the three lower counties, did not. It did not even have a separate file of papers in London recognizing its existence. Poor Delaware. The Delaware Territory was just weird. It lived in a semi-colonial purgatory, neither being a colony nor not being a colony. It just was kind of there. Even with the whole Delaware not being a colony, but kind of a colony, not really though situation, it still had a well-functioning government. The legislature had 18 members with six of them elected once a year by free men. They even had a comprehensive law structure that maintained order in the territory. Delaware was even able to raise a barrier against the British law that banished convicted criminals to colonies in the empire. How did they do it? Simply put, taxes. Delaware law stated that the captain of the ship transporting convicts would have to pay five pounds for every criminal brought into the colony. The captain would also be bound to pay 50 pounds for each imported convict that acted badly in the colony. If a citizen of Delaware wanted to purchase a convict, they would be taxed nearly 11 pounds for doing so. Apparently, crime does pay, for some. In doing so, Delaware spared themselves from suffering the consequences of importing convicts, while Maryland was flooded with them. On the eve of the American Revolution, Delaware had become a distinct colony. If not in name, definitely in society and culture. By 1750, the original mix of Dutch, Swede, and Fin settlers had almost fully assimilated to English customs. They felt comfortable being ruled by the crown a fact that played into the Revolution. At the outbreak of the American Revolution, Delaware formally broke off as a sovereign state. On June 15th of 1776, the Assembly called for the formation of a new government. James Booth, the clerk of the Assembly, recorded in writing that, quote, It has become absolutely necessary for the safety, protection, and happiness of the good people of this colony to establish some authority adequate to the exigencies of their affair until a new government is formed, a.k.a. the United States. At this moment, the line between Patriot and Loyalist was drawn. Despite their large Loyalist population, the Patriot cause won out in Delaware. This could be in part due to Delaware's historical desire to be seen as independent and separate, especially from Pennsylvania. Whatever the reason, Delaware became a contributing part of the American Revolution. Two of three representatives for the state voted for independence in 1776. They also had a well-oiled militia system that allowed them to muster 4,000 men for the American cause. The only significant military engagement of the Revolution to occur in Delaware was the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. After landing in Maryland, British forces under General William Howe moved north and into Delaware. The American forces had been monitoring their movement and on September 3 of 1777 ambushed them. Despite the surprise attack, the Americans lost. Out of ammo, they were forced to retreat across the bridge and eventually from the battle entirely. In the wake of Cooch's Bridge, the Americans would suffer another defeat at Brandywine Creek in Pennsylvania. British reinforcements marched through Wilmington, Delaware and managed to capture John McKinley, the president slash governor of Delaware. He was released in 1778 when he was swapped in a prisoner exchange with fellow governor of New Jersey and known loyalist William Franklin, Benjamin Franklin's son. Even with the inauspicious start, the Americans eventually won the war and began forming the United States we know today. After the Articles of Confederation failed, mainly due to giving the states too much individual power, a Continental Congress was called that ended in the creation of the U.S. Constitution we know today. The very first state to ratify it was Delaware, on December 7, 1787. When one thinks of U.S. states, it is likely that Delaware is not the first to come to mind. It can be easily forgettable, being geographically small and tucked between the bigger states of Maryland and Pennsylvania. But Delaware's rich and unique history makes up for what it lacks in size. Its territory-shifting ownership between multiple European powers should have inhibited its growth, but instead its mixed background became a strength that enabled it to prosper. Delaware's strange status as being a off-the-books colony contributed to their desire for independence from Pennsylvania and likely fueled their ambition for it during the American Revolution. Therefore, it is more than fitting that Delaware was the starting state, to first ratify the Constitution in the United States of America. Next time, we'll be taking an in-depth look at Thomas Penn and the state of Pennsylvania. This has been Starting the States, a history podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Breida, and I hope you have found diving into the history of the states as interesting and informative as I have. Thank you for listening, and be sure to follow on Twitter at Starting the States to keep up to date on all that is happening. Take care.